Gang, my name is John Cook, and I am the pastor. I am your pastor of care and counseling, and I'm so excited to be here. Again, Fredericksburg campus, I'm so glad you're with us. Our online folks, it's good to have you with us as well. Please be typing in there and saying hi to your chat host and all of that. Hey, we are going to be in Luke chapter 7. We're going to continue the story because there is always more to the story, and we're going to continue this in Luke chapter 7. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. Uh, get your pens ready. I need for you to get a piece of paper out. There's stuff that I need for you to apply, okay? No. Uh, I, I have to start this off with, and I'm going to ask a, a very serious question, and most of you are probably not going to know this. However, if, if you do know who this person is, there's a chance, there's a chance you could win a new car. Does anybody know who that is? Two services, didn't have to get a new car. Okay, all right. That is Emily Post. Does that mean anything to anybody? Wow, you all are heathens. Okay, all right. Emily Post, see, the reason why I know this is because I believe my mom wanted to grow up and be Emily Post. You will know who Emily Post is when I put it into context. She is the guru of etiquette. She is the one that wrote the blue book on etiquette in the early 1900s, and this is how you do things. And it is because of her great wisdom when we go to a formal dinner setting, maybe even a white tie dinner setting, this is what you have. Now, does that cause anybody angst? I don't know about y'all, but whenever I sit down at a table and there's more than a plastic fork there, I'm a little concerned I may be out of my league, okay? This is a, that is just a full dinner setting. And I just want to help you out here, okay? There are things on that table like a fish fork. I didn't even realize there were a fish, there was such thing as a fish fork. There is a meat fork, which I assumed all forks were meat forks. Yeah. Uh, you have, I'm not sure on the far left hand side uh, what that little wooden spoon thing is there. I, I, I don't know, but I do know this. This is what I learned from my mom work from the outside in. We all know that, okay? I also want to remind you that your bread plate is on the left side. So if you are taking bread from your right side, you are stealing to the person to your right, okay? Not that I've ever done that before, all right? Bread plate left, water glass right, work from the outside in, okay? Now, I assume when I've moved everything from the outside in is when I go to the top, and I don't know if you go from top to bottom. Maybe somebody else can help us with that. Emily Post is the one that came up with this and finally wrote all of this out for us. And, and as a six-year-old, this was very important in my household because you gotta understand that appearances, it was all about appearance. We had formal dinos, dining uh, situations every night. My, one of my jobs as a young guy was to set the table before dinner. We always had, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She'd make dinner. We would eat at six o'clock. 
And it was my job at 540, 540, not 541, 540 to set the table. And it didn't matter if all we needed was a soup spoon. There would be a salad fork, a fork, your plate, the napkin, and really formally the napkin should be on the left-hand side underneath the forks, okay? If you want to be kind of a heathen, you can put it on the plate, but it's better if you put it under there. And then your knife and your spoon. Now, again, we may not have used all of those at that meal, but it, it better be on that table because it's all about appearances. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because the story we're gonna look into, the account that we're gonna look into today out of Luke 7, it is a formal dinner that Jesus has been invited to. So again, if you've got your passages, let's go ahead and look at this, all right? Or if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up. Again, Luke chapter seven, we're gonna start in verse 36. And it's just very simple. Verse 36 says, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him and he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now I wanna set the stage here for you. This is a formal setting, all right? But I will tell you their idea of a formal setting is completely different than what we would look at, okay? It's nothing like what we just saw over there. First of all, the table is only about 16 inches off the, ta- off the ground. There were no actual seats. There would be cushions that people would, around the table. There would be specific places at the table where people would sit. Would sit. The host normally sat at the head of the table, and then the um, primary guest would sit just to the right of the host. Now, this is really important when you got to the table, you would recline. You would rest on your left elbow and you would eat with your right hand. Now, there would be all sorts of ceremonial washing in between courses and things like that that you would do. Um, And a ceremonial washing for meal would be a half an eggshell of water. And you would pour it over your fingers and you would be clean. Now, I don't know how you can clean anything with a half an eggshell of water, but you would go through that little ritual. You would be reclined out and your feet would be kicked off behind you, all right? And the primary purpose of this meal was not actually the meal, but it was the discussion and the debate that would happen. And so when this Pharisee, Simon, we find out, has invited Jesus to come to this formal sitting, the real thing is that what Simon is trying to do is he's trying to get information, he's trying to debate Jesus about some of his teaching. Now, another thing that's interesting in this is that you and I could have attended this dinner. It was not invite only. Now, the people that got the invite got to sit around the table and participate in the meal. But we could, in the unwashed masses, could certainly join in the festivities either outside the dining room or up against the wall in the dining room. And their job was to listen into the conversation. But it was very important that you do not, if you are not invited and if you are not at the table, you do not participate. You stand there in silence and just simply listen. Now, 
What we're gonna see here in a minute is a complete and utter breach of etiquette. Emily Post would have spun in her grave. My mother would have spun in her grave. But this is what happened. Verse 37, a woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, I cannot explain to you how much of a breach of etiquette this is. First of all, it's okay, she's an uninvited guest. You may listen in. If you were a man, scandalous, first of all, she was a she. Second of all, she was a sinful she. Now, we don't know what her sin was, but it was egregious enough and it was big enough that everyone in the town knew about it. Now, I'll let you decide what that is, but Scripture doesn't tell us. I'll let you play with the mental gymnastics on what that could have been. It's not far of a leap, all right? But everyone knew that this woman lived in sin or had an incredible amount of sin that was open to the public in her life. Now, she has come, and I want you to think about this. Jesus is reclining at this table, and she is now not only not up against the wall, but she is at Jesus' feet now, and she is weeping. She has let her hair down. She has uncovered her hair. I cannot tell you how scandalous this woman is. She is just compounding her problems. All right? Because a Jewish woman should not, a woman in Palestine at that time, you don't uncover your head in public. You don't let your hair down in public. The only time you do that is with your husband, all right? You don't do that. Here she is just a breach of etiquette all over the place. I mean, she is, in today's vernacular, baby, she is a hot mess, And not only that, now she is all over his nasty feet. That we're going to see that the Pharisee didn't offer Jesus to clean Jesus' feet or have a servant come and clean his, clean his feet. And so, you know, they're wearing sandals and even without socks. See, I mean, Jesus had style, okay? Yeah. Um, but his feet would have been dirty. Um, and all that, and she has her face down there. She's crying. She's wiping them with her tears. She's kissing his feet. And as only Jesus can do, he's going to turn this into a massive learning experience. But I want you to put yourself in the, in the seat of the host you have a formal dinner at your house. You have broken out the good china. Does anybody still have china? Anybody? Okay, yeah, all right, okay, okay, yeah. We inherited my mom's china, 
And every time I walk by the cabinet, my heart goes, I'm terrified of that china because it was instilled in my life. If you break this, if you chip this, if you breathe on it wrong, you will die. I think that's exactly my mom's word. You will die, okay? I don't want any part of that stuff. My wife's like, oh, I've got your mom's china. I'm like, no. Yeah. You've got your china out. You have the nice silver. And this isn't the silver plated stuff. This is silver, silver. This is the real stuff, okay? You have the Waterford crystal glasses out, okay? I am probably, you people are like, what is he talking about? This is my life I grew up with. I grew up with the daughter, apparently, of Emily Post. So, um, and so this is happening, and you've got this woman here. And I will tell you right now, if I was the Pharisee, I'd probably be thinking something a little bit harsher than what the Pharisee is actually saying. My idea would have been, who are you to come in and mess with my occasion? What gives you the right to come in here and mess up all of my plans? Does that resonate with anybody? Because you know what? It's when it's all about appearances, I got to look good. And if you're not going to make me look good, then you you're out. Luckily, Scripture tells us exactly what the Pharisee was thinking. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now understand this, he did not speak this out loud. These are just thoughts that he was having. If this man, speaking of Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You cannot help but think about how uppity and conceited and arrogant and whatever word from the thesaurus that you can come up with, that this man is absolute contempt for this woman. Absolute contempt for this woman. And I want you to keep in mind, she is on her knees, ugly crying. Not only that, is she has this alabaster jar, the only thing probably of any value to her she has. In Matthew's account, Judas, that tight wad, Judas goes, you know, wow, I can't believe she's wasting this perfume on Jesus. We could have sold it for a year's wages. So she is down here absolute making a spectacle of herself. And not only that, she has popped the top off of that alabaster jar. Now, do any of y'all still have potpourri in your house? Anybody put potpourri up in your house? Thank you for, okay, there's, sorry. I just want to apologize for you. I, I know it's brutal. I don't know about you, but my allergies go crazy. But you can walk into a house with potpourri and you're like, wow, okay. Everybody in that room is smelling this, is seeing this, is, I mean, every sense, there's sensory overload going on in what's happening here. And this Pharisee's like, I cannot believe this is happening. And if this guy was anything remotely like what he said, he would be like, what are you doing, lady? Get away from me. Get off my feet. You're making a fool of yourself. Stop this. But that is not who Jesus is. 
Thank goodness, thank the Lord, Jesus is not like you or me. Jesus not only knew the woman at her feet, but she knew the man at the, he knew the man at the head of the table as well. And as only Jesus can, what a master teacher, taking events, real-time events, and turning them into practical application and lessons. And that's what Jesus does here. Verse 40, Jesus answered Simon. Now, if I'm Simon, and I've thought this stuff, I haven't verbalized it, there's a chance you heard my eyes roll, but you didn't, I didn't say anything. But Jesus answered Simon's thoughts. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, let me give you a little... A little insight to this. We all know that a denarii is equal to about a day's wage. So we've got one man that has about, what, year and a half? Almost two years of salary. We call that a mortgage payment now. A partial mortgage payment at least, okay. One man owns almost two years of income. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I can't stroke a check. Well, I can stroke a check for two years of income, but you may want to wear protective gear because it's coming right back at you, okay? The other one owes him about a month and a half of salary. All right, so think about that. And then all of a sudden, this money lender just goes, you know what? Don't worry about it. And I love how Jesus, which one do you think is going to be more grateful? Now, if you're a Pharisee at this time, and even as you read Scripture, as we read Scripture today, we know that when Jesus asks a question like that, you need to think before you answer because there's a chance that it's a trick question. The Pharisee went on a limb and he goes, I'm assuming the man with the larger debt. And Jesus goes, you chose right, Simon. This has been such a bad night already. I don't want to answer the question incorrect also. And then I love this. Then I love this. See, we think that the parable, we think that the story is all about the two debtors and the money lender. And yes, there is a tremendous lesson there. When we have been forgiven much, there is great gratitude that comes with that. When we have tasted the goodness of grace, how can we not find uh, gratitude in that? All right? What we're seeing here on the floor is the effects of grace of someone who knew exactly how broken they were, of someone who cried out to God. And maybe this has been you. 
you know, as David said, my sins are always before me. I know what I'm capable of doing. I know what I have done. I really don't need you reminding me of this. But we'd love to do that. Oh, I'd love to help you, but, you know, you did this. I understand that. At what point will I no longer be identified by the sum of my sin and be identified by who God says I am? That's what's happening on the floor next to Jesus. And as our whole series says, but there is more to this story. It's not just about being forgiven. Not that that is something minuscule, but there is more to the story. I love this. Verse 43, excuse me, verse 44. Jesus reclining at the table. I am thinking that he has put down his unleavened bread. And now he is looking at this woman making an absolute spectacle of herself and asked Simon a very pointed question. Simon, do you see this woman? Now, if you're Simon, if you're anybody in that room, where have your eyes been this entire time? Ain't nobody listening to anybody. Ain't nobody looking at anything other than this train wreck, this hot mess over here, and the stank that is so strong. I know it's perfume, but man, too much, and it just knocks you over. This is sensory overload, what's happening here. And Jesus asked a question, do you see this woman? Of course I see the woman. No, Simon, no. Do you see her is the question. Do we see her? Do we see him? Do we see them? Do we have eyes to see people around us? Or do we just see the hot mess? Gang, I can be so guilty of this to write somebody off like that. First impressions, well, you messed up. Yeah, I'm done with you. How many people do that with me? And I'm like, but I'm actually a lot of fun. No, you're obnoxious. Okay. <laughs> Having too high of a sense of yourself can be dangerous, okay? Yeah. But let me ask you this. Do we see others? Do we see our spouses? One of the reoccurring themes when I sit with couples is that nobody is listening and seeing anybody anymore. We get so caught up in our own things that we can no longer see the very people that we took an ordinary relationship and made it sacred and staked my name and character on vows that I gave that I would love and cherish and honor in good times, in stressful times, in good health and in bad health. And we stop seeing them. 
We stop seeing our kids as the gift that they are from God. And we're like, oh my gosh, please just be quiet. Here's an iPad. Because I need me time. We stop seeing people. We stop hearing people. And when we stop hearing people, we are not valuing people anymore. I want to give you three points, and then we're going to go about our business today, okay? I think it is so important that we have to see others. Do we see others? I will tell you that Jesus saw this woman. He saw her way before this dinner. And he saw her not for the sum total of her sins, but he saw her as who she was, and that is a child of the Most High God, that she is an image bearer of God, that she holds within her creation the uh, the the very attributes of God. And they are the same attributes that every single one of us are, are created with. Do you not realize that we are created out of life into life? That's one of the great things that makes Christianity and our faith so special. It's not that we just happened we were created out of the life of God and breathed life into us by God. Does that make sense? This woman was seen by Jesus. Do we see others? Are we capable of slowing down just enough to begin to start actually looking at other people and in their hot mess? Are we willing to go, huh, I wonder what's going on in their life? This woman was seen. But not only that, she was heard. Do we hear others? Will we spend time listening from others? In a world that is absolutely filled with cancel, making the first impressions, nope, can't do it. Well, that person needs to simply get a job and make their life better. Well, if only they'd gotten an education, then you know what? They had an opportunity to get a high school degree. They, I don't know what could have helped them. You know, that's their fault. Do we have the time, the capacity, the desire to actually see people as who they are, as image bearers of God, and go, hey, tell me about you. Tell me about how you got here. Tell me about your background. Tell me what it's like to be you. Because I'll tell you what it's like to be me because I'm my favorite topic, but I want to actually hear about you. I love sitting with people from different cultures. They may be first or second generation, even third generation immigrants to the US here. Tell me about what it's like to grow up in Libya. Tell me what it's like to grow up in Mexico. Tell me what it's like to grow up in China. Tell me what it's like to live over here. Because I don't have a file folder for that. I think I do, 
But as I begin to actually listen, as I begin to ask questions and hear about your life, then one of the greatest things that happens is it expands my ability to see others even better, but it also gives me an ability to empathize with you. Instead of writing you off and saying, good night, you're a hot mess, I get to enter into relationship with you. Do you see others? Do we hear others? And finally, will we value others? And I will tell you that Jesus valued this woman. Oh, he saw her way before the dinner. He heard her way before the dinner. And most of all, he honored her. Again, in Matthew's account of this, Jesus is getting hammered by Judas could have sold this. And I love what he does this. He brings honor to this woman. He says, listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. And if you got ears here, this woman, this beautiful daughter of mine right here, and I can almost see him touching her head and having great compassion and empathy on this one. He said, I'm going to tell you what, Wherever this gospel is preached, wherever this good news is preached, I don't care where in the world it is, this story will be told about this woman. I am honoring this hot mess because she deserves honor for the sole purpose that she is a daughter of the king. What we honor others. James chapter two, James, the writer of the book of James is actually Jesus's younger brother. James mocked Jesus when he was, uh, when Jesus was in his ministry. He thought his, James thought his older brother was a hot mess and a nut job. My poor brother has lost all of his faculties. He's busting Jesus' chops. When at one of the festivals, James goes, aren't you gonna go to the festival and do that crazy thing you do? He goes, not yet. Jesus said, not yet. But the next day, there was Jesus. And in the middle of a crowd, Jesus yells out, if anyone's thirsty, come and drink from me. If I'm James, I'm going, oh. There goes my crazy brother. James chapter two, he writes these words. He goes, listen, dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. And I will tell you, the poor here has kind of a double meaning. It is both financially poor, but most importantly, this idea of spiritual poverty 
that I've talked to you about a number of times. Matthew chapter five, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This idea of being poor, of being emptied of ourselves and realizing I am nothing without a savior. That's poor, but it's rich. James says, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich, the wealthy, the uppity who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Think about this. James is reminding us, these people that we want to find, that we want to find favor with, are folks that are so far away from God. I would rather be a friend of sinners than to be than to have everything the world could offer me and be completely empty inside. You know anybody like that? But yet we look at them, oh man, they got the 10,000 square foot house. They got the beach house. Their throwaway car is a Porsche. We can pursue that. Or we can come to the feet of Jesus and make a spectacle of ourselves. Because when we realize how empty all of this world that it has to offer, and Jesus says, I see you, and I heard you cry out, and I'm gonna honor you. I'm gonna honor you by bringing you into the family of God. From a pauper to royalty, from nothing to everything, from rags to riches. Do you see her? Do you need to be seen? Do you feel like you are unseen? Do you feel like no one listens to you? And do you feel like you have zero honor anywhere. See, the rest of the story is Jesus provides all of those things for you. I don't know where you are on your faith walk today. But I need for you to understand that Jesus does in fact see you. And though you may be a hot mess in the eyes of the world, Jesus knows the whole story. Jesus knows about the trauma. Jesus knows about the abuse. Jesus knows about the broken family. Jesus knows about the ridicule. Jesus knows about the job loss. Jesus knows about everything. 
Now I would tell you this woman. who's on her hands and knees. And the only thing of value, she's putting on the the soles of Jesus' feet. Yeah, that's the part that's going to go through the mud. Jesus recognizes. She gets it. By the love that she's showing, she gets it. She's been forgiven of everything. And it is her love that shows her gratitude. She has tasted grace. And she's okay making a spectacle in that grace. Is that you today? Shoot, is it me today? Are we willing to make a spectacle? Think about it. Man, we've been delivered from everything. Now, there may be some of you down in Fredericksburg. There may be some of you online. There may be some of you right here that think that you've got to get all your stuff in one sock before you come to Jesus. She didn't. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven and go and walk in peace in knowing that and become the fullness of that you are intended to do. You do not get yourself right to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus broken and he fills you and makes you whole from the inside out. If that's you today, if you need Jesus in your life, if you recognize that you're a hot mess, welcome, you're in a really good place. You're a place of great freedom in the beginning place of healing. And I'm going to ask that you would pray this prayer with me. If you're ready to accept Jesus as Lord, as broken as you are, pray this prayer. Father God, I come to you today a sinner, a hot mess. And I need you to be my Savior. Jesus, Heal me from the inside out. And from this day forward, and though I may not fully understand it, I'm asking you to be Lord of my life. Save me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.